Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so glad that we get to talk at this glorious window between the sugar high of lunchtime and the food coma that's going to hit at 3 o'clock on the dot. And we've got a really, really exciting opportunity today to learn from three absolutely expert marketers. We've got Javier Rodriguez, who is in charge of global sustainability marketing at Coca-Cola. And we have Tom LaForge, who is the global director of human insights and cultural insights at Coca-Cola. And then we've got Christophe Fauconnier, all the way from Paris via South Africa. And he is the founder of Innate Motion. And really, their function is a business humanizer. They craft purpose for companies. And my name is Simon Mannering. I am the founder of We First, which is a company that helps big brands tell the story of the good work they do. And as moderator, I would like my first order of business to be to resign as moderator. <laughs> We're done. Now, you know, I think we all watch sometimes and there's this sort of imperceptible, invisible barrier between people who sit at the front and the people who are sitting in the chairs. We are not here to talk about what is being done right at Coca-Cola. We are here to answer questions to provide insights for you that will propel your business in the future. So I would challenge, in the spirit of what Joe Confino has been saying, bringing your best self, your strongest self, your most passionate self to this session to take ownership of it and demand to have answers to the questions that are significant for your business. And so we've got a loose structure. We've got three sections that we can talk about, which is what is this sustainability landscape we now find ourselves in? And how do you bring that sustainability agenda to life inside a company? And then how do you bring it to life outside a company? So they're just three areas in which you might have a question. But we'd like to start by asking each of you, is there any question, any expectation you had coming to a session called a look inside an iconic brand when you have some of the global leading marketers at Coca-Cola? Is there any question on the top of your mind who would be brave enough to put their hand up and say, please serve my business? I'm going to come down here. Look, I'm doing my Oprah. Here we go. There's only one remote mic. Here we go. All right, so my question is, is we have several customers that are iconic brands, and we've provided to them a unique product, which is solar-powered electric vehicle charging units. Some of them are using them for their employees, some are using them for their customers. How do we get them to promote to the world what they're doing with us that is sustainable, that's new and adventurous? Because a lot of them are, uh, they're weak, and they're anemic in promoting what they're doing with us. How do you take a brand that has stories, that is telling their sustainable story, uh, but they're ignoring what we're doing with them? That's, that's a challenge. I, I don't know if, if I'm qualified to, to speak about that. I can tell you from our own experience uh, at Coke that uh, the first thing is that, in, like in your case, there's many good things happening in the company that one of the problems that we have is how do we capture these stories? How do we make sure that people know about them and uh, we raise awareness about what is happening? So there's a number of problems involved on that. First is, is there a story out there to be told? Then how do you capture it? Then is that a story relevant enough to be shared so other people can share it too? And then how do you tell that story in a way that you don't sound like you are bragging about yourself? Uh, so along the way, we've been learning about how to go about it. Because we started this journey of telling our stories of sustainability in a very selfish way. You say, look how good we are. Look what we're doing. Admire us. Uh, and that is not the way to go about it. I, I think we learned soon enough. And some of the people here in the, in the same panel has helped us to go through this process. Uh, we learned that we cannot be the celebrity of our stories on sustainability. We should be the celebrant. We should put the microphone in the voice of people, the voice of people that are making the change. And um, 
you will see maybe some examples of how are we executing that. But I guess it starts with, do you have a good story to tell? And then who should tell that story in a way that is credible and genuine? Tom? Yeah, I just wanted to add to that, too. We have a great marketer at our company, uh, Wendy Clark, who, when she talks about this, do you have a great story, there's the difference. Right now, there's a big movement, and it's within Coke, and it's outside of Coca-Cola, where you don't, we're moving from storytelling to story doing. And the idea of, we want to do these good things. So if we're employing these types of solar panels, for example, we're, Wendy would suggest, ask yourself, who should be telling the story? Is it really us? Should we just be doing the doing? And so we use a framework called uh, it's, uh, shared media, earned media, and paid media. We don't want to go out there and just pay for all this media. Sometimes what you're doing is, worth, is talk worthy. Let others do the talking for you. Your role is to do the doing. So I'm the non-Coke guy, yeah? Um, but there's a simple advice for you. Obviously, you want them to do that. So the best way to get them to do it is to serve them instead of them trying to serve you. So the best way to get done what others, or what you want to get done is by serving others and helping them in some way, and then they'll tell the story. If I was to try and distill a takeaway from those three answers, it's that it's an opportunity for co-authorship. It's not about you telling the story and them responding. You need to frame the story in a way that gives them a role to play. And that may be talking about the difference it's made in the company's lives or, by extension, their customers' lives. But it's something, it's a story you tell together rather than as a marketer to a target audience. There was many questions. I saw another question. This is Margaret from Timberland. Thank you, Simon. Um, I'm curious to know, we at Timberland have no shortage of great stories to tell. But where we tend to fall down is when we're in the in-house, in we've got all the master marketers around the table, and we're about to, we're, we're kind of envisioning this awesome story and how it can come to life. And then we realize maybe it's too preachy or maybe we start throwing darts at it. And then all of a sudden we default to the lowest common denominator and it becomes a story about our style. And then the values-driven stories get, get kind of buried down into the uh, purchase intent funnel at, at maybe it's a small sign at retail next to the shoe that uses recycled material or something like that. So how do you... Um, I assume you fought those battles along this journey, and um, how did you address them internally? And do you have a system of measurement, or uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to be, for me to be able to go back and kind of share an example of how you were able to kind of circumnavigate that tendency to throw darts and then just default to the lowest common denominator. Thank you. Yeah, we we actually, I mean, you're spot on on the on the challenge. Uh, in fact, we're just coming from a conversation with the research team and with the brand team about a collage of stories that we created uh, for Coca-Cola. And that collage of stories um, talks about people that are change agents and that are driving and they're happiness starters and they're doing things in their local communities to helping others. The approach that we took was to let them speak, let them say that they're true and not necessarily referring too much to Coca-Cola. In fact, the branding there is practically inexistent. The problem with that is that then you go into the typical research methodology, which we have, which is called TB-Link, and you test that ad against that methodology, and obviously it comes low in branding. So what we're telling ourselves now is to say, well, we cannot measure these kind of stories with the same logic that we will measure typical advertising. So we are, as we speak, evolving that model uh, because we cannot measure the same way that we measure typical advertising, the, the typically sales product 
functional and emotional benefits. This goes beyond. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, there's, um, my job at Coca-Cola is to really understand what are the cultural trends. So my job is not to look at what are people drinking, but really what's happening in the world. How is the relationship between companies and the environment shifting? How is the relationship between people and companies changing? The broader social issues. And so I bring that up to tell you that uh, one way you might think about approaching that would be I look at the difference between s cultural narratives and brand stories. And oftentimes we're out there trying to say, how do we tell our brand story? Well, if you've seen the Chipotle ad, what they did is they took the Scarecrow ad, is talking about a cultural narrative. It's something that's happening. We are changing our food system. So if you think about the story you have, like um, Timberland, you have this, the reforestation, planting five million trees, for example. You might talk about the larger cultural narrative about how we need to maintain the planet. And then at the end, p the idea that it's not branded strongly, but people do remember that Chipotle brought me that message. Well, I, I'm in a particular situation because, uh, and with Coke, also in Unilever, you know, I'm helping a lot of brands build purpose. And once you have a clear purpose, and a purpose which is not an ambition, you know, we're going to double our growth, but really how you want to impact the world, you know, what to identify the stories there and to you make sure that the people who make that analysis that which you are referring to, you know, if they keep in a logic which is human sense and not industry sense or product sense, then it's quite easy to know when you're on or off target. And you know, keeping marketeers in a mind state which is we are creating value as people for people, you know, and making sure you, you tell the story through that uh, mode of engagement and that type of relationship, you know, in all stories, like like the you know the life boy story of uh, you know getting children to live past five years, it moves people. You know, if you look at uh, the stories that you'll be seeing later from Coke, it's it just makes so much human sense that if you off test, it doesn't matter. It's the message and being coherent in that, measuring yourself against that. So your inner values, not just the outer, uh, you know, in all these tests, there's so many criteria that people put in that have to score high that, you know, in one ad, you can't do everything. You can't sell the product and build purpose and uh, uh, get the brand appeal. You have to some way choose for some brands or some advertising needs to be about the purpose and some's going to be about the product. So it's also that type of choice. I'm going to disagree with my friend Christophe here. We, we, need, we need some kind of tension here. This is too, too nice. No, it, it's just about the point that when we go into building the social legacy of a brand, that we, we've been in that journey at Coke, and it's, and it's uh, not easy at the beginning having that conversation, but more and more marketers in the company are realizing that we as brands need to move from having a point of view to get involved in two actions that not only promote functional emotional benefits but contribute to well-being of people. Now, it's easy to say, but then you go into it, each one of the brands and you say, okay, what is the social legacy that Brand Coke wants to leave? Not only a, a brand ambition, a business ambition, we need to have a social legacy. We need to leave the world better than we, we take it. Uh, so I just uh, tweet before the session, and I don't know if you, you will be able to see it because it's small, otherwise I will send it uh, through a link. Uh, a process that we follow to integrate sustainability at the core uh, of the brand. So you start asking yourself, 
what are the brands that need to have a social legacy? Then you ask yourself, what are the societal needs over there? And what are the societal needs that your target and your audience want to, to really solve through your brand? Then you go into, therefore, what is your social legacy? What is the impact that you're going to leave? And then you ideate in terms of what is that about? So I give you the example of Coke. In the case of Coke, uh, we're talking about inequality as the biggest global tension. And Tom has, do, has done a lot of work of identifying inequality as, a, as the biggest tension uh, worldwide, but also for our target, for teens and for, for millennials. So if that is the tension, what do we do to solve it? We, we are all about social inclusion as a brand. Uh, so we, we took the position of saying, how do we empower people to drive change by themselves as opposed to uh, you know, dictating them uh, what to do, but in issues that matter to them, in issues that are either their passion points or their needs. Uh, that has been a, our journey, and I think uh, the reason why I was disagreeing with Christophe and I, I went all the way there is that I believe that you can, when you do a communication like a, that is based in your social legacy, even if it's not heavy branded, it will drive the needle not only in terms of, you know, what is the benefit for the brand in terms of brand love, even in purchase intent. We have seen amazing results from some of our stories that are not heavily branded, but that just because of the way they are designed, uh, they, they create that impact. And at this point, I would, like to, I would like to share actually one of these examples. We talk, we talk about this idea of social legacy uh, and uh, generating employment for teens and for millennials. And uh, our friends from Brazil, from Brazil were pioneers in developing something called Coletivo, which is no more and no less than uh, creating job opportunities for teens and millennials in, uh, in Brazil. And uh, so you will see the story here. Then we, we, we will reflect about the social legacy that we want to leave. Uh, you may say, well, this is maybe even too much branded, but we are in the process of refining the way we do it. So let me share that with you, and then we, we take it. Let's hold, put Coca-Cola's feet to the fire for a second. What do people think? Can I see who, who thinks that that was too branded? Can they raise their hand? Too branded? Too much? Or was it, who thought it was okay? The balance was okay? What do you think of that? I would say, that's great. Uh, you know, this, this ad was done three years ago. This is not new. This project has been going on for four years and a half. We've been empowering already 80,000 teens that have a job now through this program in local communities. So the message may be or may not be uh, truly branded, but, you know, there's, there's some kind of deeper equity than the one that advertising generates, which is the equity that you, that you earn when you operate in that community, when you do a difference for the people that in that community, and, and they have a job as a result of that. And we see that, for example, we see that in terms of brand love scores, in terms of purchase intent scores, in terms of our own reputation, but also in terms of job creation, uh, and also in terms of uh, uh, other, other variables. So to, that's to your point about, you can have actually a, what we call a sweet spot marketing. You can, you can do good, but at the same time, good, do good business and, uh, and benefit uh, in, in all that areas at the same time. So, like I said before, I do the cultural research, and I'm gonna do a little cultural research on what we just heard right here. Um, because notice what he was saying before, he kind of introduced the idea of leaving a social legacy. 
That's what we led, led with. And then as a throwaway line, he just at the end there mentioned, oh, and then we measured to see if the brand scores, brand love scores, sales went up. If you go into a project with the exact opposite mentality, people can tell the difference. You need to go in there saying, we are here to do something positive. And as a result of doing something positive, that's where the business results come. Um, just, uh, I want to hand the, the session back to everybody in the room. And there's an area, I'd love to hear a question that focuses on how do you integrate sustainability inside your companies around your employees, if that would be useful to everybody. Does anyone have a question in and around that area? All right, then we'll go for one of the questions that are not around that area. Here we go, this gentleman here. I was hoping you would get exactly to the question I had already prepared, but it's actually quite close. Your really beautiful uh, video there ended the next to the last line with every story, every bottle has a story. And where that ended is exactly where we pick up is helping, and I, I should say I'm Randall Fisher, small technology company, you wouldn't recognize the name, SCR Technologies. Um, I come out of the MIT community in mathematics and chemistry and that stuff and business. Um, we have invented some stuff. Uh, we're just getting our first patents that deal with a unique kind, obviously, if we're getting the patents, a novel type of digital identifier, a self-accreting identifier that travels through the supply chain mentally, uh, like a double helix in parallel with the product. And that device actually enables truly, our, our own slogan is telling the story of a product. You had the story, every bottle has a story. We actually pick up right there and enable uh, the, the underlying story, it may have to do with actual sourcing of water, essentially at the molecular level, but let's say at the bottle level. So I guess my question with that little pitch is, is uh, are you guys really serious about truly telling the sustainability story at the product level, going beyond the corporate and brand level, conferring sustainability on the product, and telling the story so that others can know and learn that story. We just think that's huge, but that's very self-serving for us because what we do. This is, this is great. Uh, in fact, one of, the, one of the things that we were thinking of already three years ago when we were saying, we, we faced this campaign, Everybody Has Story. It was not a corporate idea. It was an idea coming from Brazil as a market. But we saw so much potential on it that what we say is that let's scale it. Let's make sure that we cover stories around the world of everything that the company is doing through the voices of the change agents. So this idea of Everybody Has Story now is in, in more than 30 countries with more than 80 stories, and that's fantastic, but, but it's not good enough um, in terms of there's always limited amount of money to, to talk about what you're doing. So we, not, we need to find efficient ways to spread our stories and to engage people. So one of the things that we've been working on team, uh, from my team here in social media uh, is, is working with me on is the idea of how do we use our QR codes to tell the story of what we're doing, uh, but also the story of what, what, what is the sustainability related uh, of this product in particular. We're starting with telling the stories. We will go into what you're saying, which is great, in the future. But the use of QR code, I think, is being underutilized, and even in the concept of every bottle has a story, we're going to make every bottle has a story, really. Uh, so you are spot on, and we're, we're going into that direction. Later, we're going to show another example of another brand uh, in China, for example, that is using QR codes for generating donations for water-related projects. So we are on that path. I have to go to the back, so I'm not a bad person. Here we are. Hi. 
Uh, I work for Del Monte Foods, and what we, what I would like to know, actually, to your question earlier about integrating it internally, is how much time do you spend on picking living positively in the subset of messages that reinforce and amplify that message so that employees get engaged and then that your company feels more authentic when you work there? So there's sustainable, or there's living, or sustainable living for Unilever, and there's future friendly at Procter and Gamble, like. How much time does the company spend on developing that core message and then the messages that help drive it and mobilize employees and make them feel like they are contributing? And do you ever take time to analyze what percent of your employees are being activated by that messaging platform? And how do you do that? So how do you motivate employees? How do you measure it? I, I've got a few tidbits, not the entire story, but maybe you could add to it as well. Uh, first of all, I know the people who are working on that, so if I can't answer the question, come to me later and I can direct you to the people who are doing that. But there are certain aspects that are going on because you are hitting at something to that to me is really core because if we are going to start managing our brands for their social legacy that they're talking about or humanizing them as, as Christoph talks about, you can't do that until you have a good understanding of who you are. It has to be authentic. And so we're really working with our employees that if we're going to be out there talking about things like health and well-being and, and exercise, are we really living that lifestyle internally? And so we're starting to, to implement a lot of these programs in many different levels. And we have things where we've, we've got employees that are riding bikes. We do this through our, our health care system. But more importantly, we're working on like the social connection that we have inside as well and understanding who you are first because you can't really connect with another until you've looked inside yourself and figure out who am I bringing to this conversation. Um, we saw a great presentation, I'm sure many of you saw on the main stage, Rich, um, from the Search Inside Yourself Institute. We're working with their curriculum right now. I, was, um, I know a couple people who are at our company who are teaching this to the other employees. And through this program, we're teaching mindfulness. And through that, you learn emotional intelligence. And then coming out of that, social intelligence. And these are really basic skill sets you need to then take the next level to say, what is my personal contribution to my own well-being journey? It's being worked on now, and, and I'll share some names with you if you like later. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think employees are people too. And consumers are people too. So uh, getting them to go for, do things together is fantastic. So I can tell you, for example, the Colectivo program in Brazil, you don't get more pride or you know, the pride of the Brazilian team to do that, to be part of that, is enormous, and they participate. What Coke doesn't do, and I don't think they should do that, it's not corporately led. You know, they let the countries do their stuff. And the programs that always work best, when there's programs on social inclusion, because this is a, a corporation that's social by design, it takes people who normally don't have access gives them access, you know, the, the Echo Center uh, project that you guys probably saw yesterday by Dirk, you know, it just feels so much pride from within and people want to be part of it because it's, again, a story about inclusion. So I'm not sure I'm answering your question yet, but I do see on a country level and where they do it well, Coke has a total immediate connection with the people they serve as people, not as strategists, talking to targets, but as people, marketing to people. I want to say a couple of things there. One is I would like to ask you to share with the, with the 
audience. And this is related to employees, but it's also related to, to the marketing communities. Because you've been doing work with us in terms of how do we create kind of a transformational change in people's mind so they start thinking about people as people, not consumers. And, and you did that with EcoCenter, and that's part of the process that we, we want to follow with all marketers and eventually with all employees. But would you share that and then I come back to me on? Well, as a business humanizer and psychologist, it doesn't help to preach. You know, you only get people to take on certain behaviors. Because as a company, we're good at focusing on result, outcome. And then we think everything happens on outcome. But change happens because we change behaviors. And, you know, as at Coke, but also at Unilever, we've seen how to make that relationship economy that people are speaking about, that social economy, that... Uh, um, we, we see if we can get companies to do three simple behaviors better, then they can change the way they do marketing. And, you know, those three vital behaviors, one is, you know, get them out to go and meet the people they want to serve as people to people and speak about life. Don't speak about the product. I remember, you know, once in Thailand, we took the Coke team out to... Uh, like the favelas, but the poor area of Thailand. You know, and the Coke manager walks in there, and the first thing he does, he goes to the fridge and asks them about Coke. You know, we had to chuck him out. You know, he, he was just going there to speak about the product. No, it, we've spoken a lot on this conference about vulnerability. You know, going to have a human dialogue, speaking about your own tensions and their tensions. So we, with the Echo Center, we went there with, okay, we didn't go there, but the group went there. And we went with them with an attitude of these poor, needy uh, people who uh, we need to help. So you go in there with such an attitude. And you come back, and because you've related on a human level, you see that they are creative, they've got a lot of pride, they've got a lot to give, a lot to offer. And we went there with five, six different partners. You know, the International Development Bank, uh, the agencies, and they all go in there with a very strong mental set of my expertise. But once you have a common human frame, and that's the second vital behavior, start thinking of solutions with a human scope as a frame of reference and not an industry or a product frame of reference. And that's what we do also there. And the third vital behavior, and this is the one most difficult, so especially for, for serious companies, um, is get serious about play. You know, play is a liberator. And to start using that to move beyond limitations and move into the world of possibility, start playing with the people you serve, with the partners that you are. So these are just three simple behaviors which I've seen work for Unilever, work for, for the better examples within Coke. So I hope that's been clear enough. Thank you. I, I want to add on that because... Talking about people needs and to your question about employees, uh, last year when we coming out of the employee survey at Coke globally, there was a clear rallying cry from employees saying, we are doing a lot externally, but we're not doing enough internally. We do all these wonderful programs externally, but not necessarily internally. And we're working on that now. Uh, but sometimes, you know, barriers are different to surpass, dif difficult to surpass. You have 
On one hand, you have uh, HR, and on the other hand, you have marketing, and then you have sustainability. So who's going to take the lead to engage employees in their own well-being and sustainability efforts? Uh, and we decided last year to take a, a to take to uh, to give it a try, uh, and we experiment with one project, which was the Employee World Cup. That came out of out of the blue. We say if we're doing that externally, if we're doing Copa Coca Cola, which is a tournament for 1.8 million teams around the world, why don't we do this internally, especially in the context of the World Cup? So we went ahead and with little money, $50,000, we created a, a digital platform that was only for employees to self-organize themselves into playing a tournament. We say, well, we don't know if it's going to work. Maybe it's going to be rejected from the minute one uh, because there's no incentive. Well, there was one incentive to go to the World Cup, but was one of the teams will go to the World Cup. A small incentive. <laughs> one team. One team, but when you see you when you see how many you see when you see how many people okay. Are you finished now? <laughs> so when you see how many people play the tournament out of the blue, like five thousand people uh, subscribe to that tournament out of the blue, and uh, and they were not doing it for the FIFA World Cup. They were doing it to having fun between each other to pro to to do some healthy, active living, and they truly enjoy it. Uh, so I think sometimes it's just a matter of putting the stimuli there and letting them organize themselves. Uh, and we act as a catalyst or, or empowering them to do, like we do externally, but sometimes it's as simple as that and we overcomplicate it. I, and I think that's an important point. If you cook, you can't act like a banker. You have to have fun somewhere in the equation. You know, and when you speak about sustainability or social movement, if you're going to get boring and you're going to make people feel guilty, you're not going to go anywhere. Young people don't want to buy into guilt narratives. They want to buy into build narratives. So, you know, the best stories and the best engagement is where they're still part of the fun in the equation. And, you know, else you just not cope. You could be Citibank, you know. And so we've touched on how you should approach this marketplace and a little bit on employees on the internal side. The external side, how do you integrate sustainability in a market-facing way? Um, question here. Yeah, I'm the second half of SCR. We're husband and wife here. <laughs> um, and as Randall explained, we're working on software. Um, and part w the second half of our platform is um, to be an interactive app so that we can put that in the hands of the consumers because I'm very passionate about products and wanting to not only know the entire story of that product but wanting verifiable information because in the past I've had to depend upon um, your marketers telling me but I had no way of knowing whether it was just advertising to hook me on your project product or whether it was true. So that's what I'm passionate about, and that's what we're developing. Um, do you see any place in your product line for a product like that? Um, to me, it seems very interactive because what we're trying to allow is the customer to have a voice and to give um, their own metrics of what's important to me as a consumer as opposed to just taking that from, from different companies. Tom's looking the most bewildered, so I'll give it to him. 
you know, th there is just ge the general principle that we really are in a relationship economy right now. And to have a good, healthy relationship, you need to have a conversation. And so what I hear you doing is developing the social tools that will enable that conversation to be carrying on. And we're, we're doing that right now. We're not working with that type of a program right now, but we're talking to a lot of positive psychologists like Dr. Keltner and others who are helping us understand that. Um, are you at the Berkman Center, by the way? Okay, but Doc, uh, Doc Searles, I believe, is working on certain tools that are also similar to this. But what we're interested in is there's a power relationship shift going on right now. We heard a CEO from Campbell's today saying, um, quoting an IBM executive saying, my biggest piece of advice is do not miss the shift. Right? There's a big shift going on right now. And it's a power relationship where corporations have always had a lot of power. Very, very quickly, we're seeing consumers and civil society and NGOs, all the different components of this group of people, these human beings, they're becoming more powerful. And what we want to do is make sure that as they create the world they want, we can be of service to them. So that's the context in which I would put a tool like that. Questions from the floor? So th there have been a number of companies at the conference who I would kind of not put in the early adopter category. So I would put you guys and Unilever in the early adopter category. There have been a number of companies who have stepped up to some fairly significant commitments on things that they agree they don't know how they're going to deliver on, uh, just as many of the commitments, stretch commitments, that the early adopter companies have made have been also ones that had to be worked out innovatively and are being worked out innovatively. So the, the, the question is, have, have you learned things from being a first mover that you would share with them since we all want to get better, faster, and improve sustainability in a way that could potentially help them, you know, not competitively, but just help them be better at doing this kind of innovation and engaging with people in a way that uh, doesn't turn out to be, you know, greenwashing, really turns out to deliver tangible results. What, what would you tell those guys who just stepped up based on what you've learned? First mover mistakes to avoid. Yeah, I, I want to talk about how do, how do we get into prioritization of, of sustainability initiatives from Coke uh, as a starting point to then go into goal setting and then defining commitments. And then uh, a bit about how do we set these goals specifically, because some of them were set a uh, different way than others, let's put it that way. Uh, so I think when we went through that, we, we created a tool called the value creation model, which was tr truly trying to understand the business and the societal impact of all the more than 3,000 initiatives that we have. And it's a model where you put your initiative and you ended up having you know, like a two by two in which you say, okay, these ones that are here are truly driven business and societal impact. Uh, these ones are business impact, these ones are more social impact, so we're gonna go for that intersection. Uh, so that was the first step. When we started doing that kind of analysis, we realized that water, women, and well-being were actually at the top of it. And that doesn't mean that other things were not important. So what we did was uh, use that as a base and establish, for example, on water, we set up this goal for 2020 to say, 
we're going to replenish all the water that, that we use by 2020. We, we just announced today that we are at 68% goal, which is great, but it's not good enough. And when we get into 100%, we will go into water positive, which we are in already some countries. Uh, five by 20, empowering five million women by 2020. That, that came, to be honest, from our CEO. He had that vision. He, he knew immediately that empowering a women not only bring back, brings back value to, uh, to the community, the women reinvest 90 cents of each dollar uh, that they receive back to the, the family, back to the community. So it, w it was making business sense for us. And obviously, uh, the well-being part, which is important because we want to promote active, healthy living, and we have a goal of having an active, healthy living program in every country where we operate. Now, I'm going to stop in that one because we can set up goals and very ambitious goals. And, and somebody was telling in the morning that the more ambitious that you set your goal, the, the, the better, because then you're going to force yourself to go there. We didn't know at the beginning that we will have the ability to empower 5 million women. We still don't know how we're going to get there in detail. But we have a learning from one year in which we have empowered more than 500,000. And uh, so, yeah, you can set a big ambition, but then you have to go step by step building it and, 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 and bringing partners to the table to help you deliver in that ambition. I guess one of our biggest challenges was along the way to make sure that our system was aligned. We operate in more than 207 countries. We have bottlers in each one of these countries. So alignment was kind of a, a key thing, a, a key issue. So there was a lot of conversation, a lot of discussions. You need to sit at the table rather than, in most of the cases, trying to impose a goal from the top down. Uh, so that's what I would say. But Tom? Yeah, I, I, um, I noticed that a lot of the people that I work with that are given these programs within the company. These are people who have succeeded their whole life. They're in the corporate world. They've been promoted. They probably have gone to business school. And so they've always kind of been told and trained, you make things happen. That sense of agency can get in the way sometimes. When you're trying to, to achieve some of these larger social goals, you need to be able to ask yourself, how can I partner with others where they have the agency? And uh, I see some wiggling fingers back here, too. The, if you all were here for the first day when, when these two were talking about, there's Jerry and April, they were talking about the idea of what if we trusted each other? What if you trusted your partners in these ambitions? All right, That's what we need to be able to do. Um, some of the, the biggest failures, April has taught me many different things on this. She comes from the world of microfinance and helping with water programs around the world. You walk in there thinking you know how to fix a local community's problem because you know better than they do, you're most likely going to fail. It takes a lot of humility to give agency to that local community that you're helping. So that process is something I would highly recommend to achieve what you were talking about. Can I just, uh, what, what's also important, what Coke does well, and I think that's an important learning for, for other companies, is they don't just put a social agenda on the table. They also put the business agenda on the table. Because, you know, how many programs have companies started with just a social ambition until the next marketing team walks in and they go to another agenda? You know, so, yes, we very often speak about the future of profit is purpose, but... You know, in reality, the future of purpose is also profit. And if you don't bring the human sense and the business sense together, then 
you know, it's going to end quite soon. And, and I think that with Coke, if I look at Colectivo, it's a fantastic human program, but there's a lot of business sense to it. Uh, and in all social or sustainability programs, that would be one advice that I would, would say Coke does well, others should follow. And it takes extra strain, extra discipline, but there is always that sweet spot. We're coming to the last few minutes, and um, I, w I really invite you to corner them and corral them out onto the balcony and make sure they don't get time to go to the restroom or anything like that. But in the app, prior to doing that, is there something you'd like to show, Javier, that sort of represents this external facing? Yes. You're right. I feel so sorry. I, I'm so sorry. I don't even know, and I'm apologizing. Thank you, guys. Um, so... Practically, exactly, how are you mapping cultural narrative? And is that art or is that science? And are you doing it all the same way or is it different between departments? That's a, <laughs> that's a really, really good question because honestly, about four years ago, I, I've been in the market research department at Coca-Cola for about 15 years. For the first 11, I was just doing the typical stuff, right? Brand packaging, concept testing. And somebody left the company and she had been doing the trends research, but really at the time, trends were, oh, what are the kids wearing? What kind of music are they listening to? What shows are popular? And those, those are good trends, right? If you're gonna make a TV commercial that shows teenagers' lives, you'd better know that stuff. But if you're up at the top of the, the company and doing things like business strategy or portfolio strategy, you need to have a different type of trends analysis. So I started calling those macro forces and figuring out things like the, you were mentioning, the rich-poor divide and the growing inequality around the world the role of women in society. Right now, one out of every three people on this planet is 40 and older. That trend is an amazing one. You can take a fact like that, but really what makes it a cultural narrative is to ask yourself, how do those 40-year-olds and older think differently than younger folks? Because when you get to Eric Erickson and, and uh, Maslow, they would study things like, what are those existential questions you ask at certain life stages? We are now at a point where most people on this planet are asking questions about purpose because it's a natural human development. What We've never had a society on the planet ever that had that many elders within it. And so what's going to happen when we get away from this immature kind of youth-oriented mentality to something that's more what's called other-oriented? That's a macro force. And I've, I've identified at least eight of these that we've been studying. You can't say there's a definitive list. And then when you find a program, like if I get brought in with a program here or working with Dirk on EcoCenter, we'll pick and choose maybe two or three of those. You can't use all of them. But they're changing how people view the world. And the key is not what are the numbers on how many people have cell phones. The question is how are you living your life differently, how are you thinking differently, and how are you emotionally connecting with other people differently when these things have been introduced to your world. I was going to make a joke, but uh, five years ago, when I used to come to America and even mention the word existential, they'll throw me out of here and say I'm a communist. Right now, you hear it all over, so there's something shifting. I, I want to share a couple of examples from uh, two brands uh, in the world uh, that are beginning to incorporate sustainability at their core and uh, align them uh, with our key priorities. Um, the first one is the first social purpose-driven water brand that. Uh, that we were able to make happen in China as a result of a trip there in which we were trying to, dri to drive a global movement to protect water resources. 
we invite the marketing team to test uh, a couple of concepts. One of the concepts was precisely uh, what you're going to see there. That is already a reality and is driving business results, but also environmental results and social. It's a very simple idea. We are basically through the One Foundation and through every purchase donating money uh, to provide filters for schools. We have benefited already 30,000 Chinese people. Chinese people really value quality of water and water specifically. So you can imagine we are selling this, this brand double the price that any brand that is in the marketplace and we are winning share with it just because it has a social purpose attached to it that consumers care for. So that's a, that's a, good, uh, a good learning from it. You want to say something? Yeah, I was okay. You know, I think that's also, you know, we spoke about that business sense, huh? but a brand, a brand company can actually get people they serve to help build a purpose with them. And I think that's what, if there's any advice that you can get, you know, as a sustainability team, you know, if brands can help that get engage consumers, the people they serve, to help a purpose with them, then you're really doing a good job. Because you can't be a marketing company and not use your marketing skill to influence or encourage people to help something that matters to them and to all of us together. And I, I want to share another example and building on that, because when you create these kind of narratives and you actually go into what is the social cause that I'm going to support? It has to be material to your business. It has to deliver on the promise of the brand. But it also has to be aligned with the societal needs of that particular geography. So I have another example here from Innocent, uh, that they've been doing work to relieve hunger in UK for already five years. Uh, but have a look, because it builds into this idea. We're in the last couple of minutes, so I'm going to ask each of them to just say one thing, one key takeaway, irrespective of how big or small your business is, what's one key takeaway that they would like to share, and then everyone will be available for questions, because there's many, many questions we didn't get to. But if there's a theme that's emerged from this, it's that we all recognize these new narratives, cultural narratives out there. But I think if the framing of this whole discussion was how to integrate you know, your business strategy or brand strategy into your or your sustainability strategy into your brand, it's actually a shared strategy. You've got to include your employees. You've got to allow your employees to co your employees and customers to co-author that story. That's how you get them engaged. That's how you over-deliver on your social purpose. And that's how they will amplify your brand and share that story with others. And that was a great example of it. So guys, one, one takeaway, irrespective of the size of the business, one mistake to avoid or one signpost to follow. I would say that um, my recommendation will be for us to be to continue to be mavericks, to really push the envelope. But at the same time, push on open doors. Because there's people in your organization, like in our organization, that are true believers in what we're doing. And they will be the they are actually, they have been the early adopters that will drive the change in your organization too. So that would be my recommendation. For me it's really simple and it's building on your question, which is stop doing consumer research and start doing human and cultural research. Study human beings as they really live their lives. For the first, I've done this for four years. For the first two years, I would go out throughout the company and teach human insights and cultural trends to everybody. That was a mistake because if you're making your topic just what I'm doing internally, let me teach you about the world, you'll get everybody going, I love that, and they want to hear about it, and they're very interested. But they go about and do their business as usual. So if you're doing this within a large company, 
the best way to get it actually to have an effect is find the current projects that are going on, like many of the projects that you run, and find out how can you make that project a better project by adding that social component to what you're doing. All right. Um, I would say the, the big advice is try to craft for a world that's more generous in design. You know, we, we tend to build systems that are greedy, and therefore we limit the possibilities to win. Uh, if we can just build whatever program we're doing and craft it for generosity, I'm pretty convinced that out of that type of attitude, where more people can win, you will win also. And uh, I think Collective is an example of that, but there's many of that, so that would be my one advice. And please join the, the Generosity Pays movement. And on behalf of every, oh, where? Uh, remember, Javier has his five-step plan that Coca-Cola uses. He tweeted it out just before this. Tom, Tom, where can they find cultural insights that you've put together? Is there somewhere that you could direct them to? Tom LaForge on Twitter. You'll find a lot of his insights there. And most importantly, thank you to everyone for your questions, for your time, and for the passion you bring to this. None of us are greater alone than we are together. So everyone here up on the stage really appreciates your commitment as well. Thank you. Thank you.